visitors, we've been looking for the entire Advent season at just 18 verses. Uh, and we come back again today to the Gospel of John, a man who tells us the Christmas story in a very powerful and distinctive way. John chapter 1 is what we turn to. John chapter 1, he opens his book about Jesus with a prologue sounding all the themes that he's going to talk about. And so we'll look at it today. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Let us stand as we remember that we are hearing our Father's word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So he came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I've told some of you this story, but two and a half years ago, when I was heading an institution for higher education, We had a major crisis on our campus. It was racial, ethnic in nature, and it was very, very threatening to many of our students of color. And some of you know the decision that I made was to evacuate our campus of all of the minority students. I tried to get them to safety, but of course, once that decision was made, it became a bit of a media circus. Made it even into the front page of the L.A. Times during that time. And at that time, interestingly, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, on the very next day, decided to make a visit to the campus. Uh, He called me on his way there. He said, would you like some help? Would you like to see me? And I said, well, of course, come over. And he came in. And as is always the situation in a time like that, it took us a while to get uh, into one another's hearts and to trust one another. 
And eventually he said something like this that has direct relevance to what we're talking about today. He said, um, you know, I'm often criticized, he says. People say I always like to be in front of the media. He said, and then with a smile, he said, and some of that may be justified. (laughs) But let me tell you, he said, let me tell you what it is that guides me in, in my decisions. He said, I've always believed that when people are in trouble, real trouble, someone needs to go and be there with them. If no one actually goes and and spends time with them, you're never able to make a difference. Now, he said, Mr. President, where are those students that you evacuated from the campus? And I told him about a church we were bringing them back to nearby. And he said so, so directly, don't you think that in their time of trouble, you and I should go and be there with them? I said, I think that's a good idea. So we went over there together and spent a lot of time with our students. And I'll tell you, when you are there with people in times of tragedy, then and only then can you begin to know God's presence and actually see God's working through you. Now, for those of you who aren't frequent churchgoers, we have this term that we often use. It's called incarnational ministry. It sounds very refined, incarnational. It isn't. Carnation means flesh, in, in flesh. God took on human flesh and came to be here with us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We talk about the fact that we should also, in a very similar way, when people are having trouble, go and be with them in that time of difficulty. But I no longer call it incarnational ministry. You see the title of the sermon? What I call it now is, and you'll hear me talk about this often, the ministry of being there. Sometimes I think in a church, especially a large one, we've become so professionalized, so specialized, that this basic part of being a Christian, standing together in tough times, can be missed. And it's certainly not what God did. Now that brings us back to the Gospel of John. Uh, I've told you throughout this series that this man named John had met this Jesus when John was a young man and it had absolutely changed his life. And John had become convinced throughout his life that what Jesus had done for him was not just for him, but for all light has has been shining into this dark world, he says. And this one who is shining in this world can bring life to all people if only they knew and if only they would respond. But how will they understand? So he begins to write a story. And he he wrote the story. He says himself in John chapter 20, I'm writing this so that you too may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm writing this so that you too may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And why? Because when we believe in Him, we at last find life. And it comes in His name. So he really believed that this was not just for him, but for all people. Do you think even for people here in the San Gabriel Valley in 2007? What do you think? I'm so convinced that he thought that. But he wanted to to introduce us to this Jesus. He wanted us to tell us, to understand the story of what had changed him. And so he begins to write this book. But, But he writes the story in a way so different from others. It's not the same as Matthew did or as Luke did, telling about when Jesus was born. Instead, he says, like the book of Genesis, in the beginning. He had to start there. There there was a word, that's what he calls him, 
because he had to go back before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because this word who, who was in the beginning was with God. But I need to tell you, he was God. And he is shining in this world. He made everything in this world. But he is shining in this world and he wants to change the lives of people. But how will we understand that word? And that's what we've been talking about. Remember one week we said we can understand a bit about Jesus Christ because all things were made through him. We can understand him through what he's created. Uh, We can know he's powerful. We can know he's beautiful. Where all things were made by him. It makes it so that you and I look at the world we're in differently, right? And yet simply looking at what a person has done won't give us a personal relationship to that person, right? So Jesus sent people who spoke words, prophets like Moses, uh, later on Isaiah, later on Micah. But even they can only sort of remotely say there is one coming. He will be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. And eventually the one who is called the greatest prophet of all came. The canvas banner points to him. John the Baptist. And what made him so great? His intelligence? His charisma? No, the greatness was he of all the prophets could say, and there he is. The one we've waited for. Behold, he said, there is the Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. And yet, even though that message came through people, still, as John says in verse 5 of John 1, the world did not understand what God was saying and did not know God. And so today we come to what I call the biggest bombshell of all that John tries to drop in all of this. Now, some of us have heard this story so often that we don't even know how shocking it is. Because what he wants to say is God loves us so much that knowing that we don't know him and that people on our own, we are not living as God created us to live. God came himself. It is the ultimate ministry of being there. The ultimate ministry of being with us in our time of crisis and tragedy. Now today, in the few moments that we have, I want to look at two facts, so simply, and then thirdly, at how we should respond. Uh, The first fact is what happened. Second fact is what people did when it happened, and still do. And third, then, what you and I should do. Are you ready? What happened? Verse 10. Look at it. He was in the world. This one who was God. He was already here. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It it, it didn't see him. The point is God has never been distant from this world. But something happened to us that makes it so that, that though God is here and among us, we don't recognize him. We don't acknowledge him. We don't see him. Uh, Most of us can understand this in a more remote sort of way. Have you ever been in a setting when you are there and often a lot of people are around you, but but you feel invisible? It's as if they don't even notice you at all. A, A large church can be like that, right? A large church can be like that. You walk into church and, and, and you sit here and, and, and we sing, but sometimes we wonder, did anybody even see that I showed up? It's, it's rather painful, don't you think? Sometimes we have to work awfully hard to, to try to break into the lives of busy, busy people. Well, just think about this. God has always been here, but the world didn't see him, didn't recognize him. Why? I've talked about this on other occasions 
But it's because God is perfect and human beings, though made in his image and read Genesis 2, were made to have as a part of our lives that we know God and that we walk and talk with him as the first people did. People walked away from God, disobeyed him in Genesis chapter 3. And the history of human beings is people who have wanted to live for ourselves and not walk with God, not know him as our Lord. We like sheep, we have gone astray. We have walked away, and because of that, we, two things, don't know God personally, nor are we living the way that God created us to live, right? And so God came. God, God loves you, and he wants you to know him, and he wants your life to be remade. He wants you to start living again. This, this shocking thing, the world did not know him. And so what happened? The word, through whom everything was made, became flesh. He came to this place to be here with us so that we could live again, so that we could know him. The most universe transforming, history changing moment that we could ever experience is what we celebrate at Christmas time. It's almost unimaginable when you go to the mall or you stand in the elevator and they're playing all of this sweet music that what we are talking about is the space and time invasion of God into this world to offer us hope. For those who have walked away and need forgiveness to offer us forgiveness. Somehow that's what we need to recapture at the Christmas season. That God has come and now we can know him. And now we can begin to live again if we will simply respond in the way that he calls us to do so. I'll tell you, preachers have tried to talk about this, this world transforming moment. John, hymn writers have tried to write about it throughout all of history. We've sung some of that music today. Poets have tried to capture it. One, and I'll just pull it up, one of my favorite poets, because he writes so simply, is U.A. Fanthorpe, the professor of poetry at Oxford. She was trying to talk about that when Jesus came, everything changed. Though when he came, it may have seemed peaceful and just mundane things like censuses were being taken. Still, what happened was even the calendar changed from B.C., before Christ to A.D. after the year of our Lord. And she wrote this wonderful poem. Just look at it and think about it. B.C. A.D. This was the moment when before turned into after. And the future's uninvented timekeepers presented arms. This was the moment when nothing happened. Only dull peace sprawled boringly over the earth. This was the moment when energetic Romans could find nothing better to do than counting heads in remote provinces. And this was the moment when a few farm workers and three members of a Persian sect walked haphazard by starlight straight into the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus came, the one through whom all was made came. And God's reign, we're living for ourselves, all sorts of other things seem to be ruling our lives, right? Our finances, what others want us to do, our own misdirected wishes and passions. And God comes and can begin remaking us. And that's what he says, the word became flesh. What do you think of that word flesh? Do you use it very often? Isn't it, when you pull it out of the context of the Bible, 
kind of a, a crude, impolite word. When you go to a restaurant, uh, and those of you who are not vegetarians, do you, do you, I'm not, do you ever say, well, you know what I'd like tonight? Just a good hunk of flesh. <laughs> we would never say that. It's a bit of a crude term. Uh, and yet, if you had lived in John's day, it was even more so. Uh, the Greek word sounds like it. Sarks. Sarks. Think about the word became that. What this is, the reason why I think John uses this word, is he wants to sort of blow the trumpet and say, listen to me now. I want to tell you what God did. God, the maker of heaven and earth, came into this fallen world and became flesh. It's because there has been, and it continues on, there's been this idea, this notion that human beings have. We have a sense there is a God, but maybe he's some sort of force out there somehow. Or maybe God is some sort of light within me that I share this godness. With, doesn't that sound of, sort of sound like our world? That's what John was wrestling in. He said, I want you to know something. God is distinct from you and me. And God came into this world. He is our maker. But he loves you. And he made a personal visit to live here so that we can know him again and begin to live again. Look at your Bible again in verse 14. The word became flesh. And my version says, made his dwelling among us. Let me tell you John's word. Newcomers to the church, this won't mean a whole lot at first, but if you'll stick with me, it's worth it. The word that he uses is, this word became flesh and he tabernacled here. He tabernacled. Do you, do you know where that comes from? It comes from a story in the Old Testament. It's so meaningful to me. God's people were stuck in this wilderness for years, year after year after year. They had to go through that because of their own sin. But that did not mean that God didn't love them, which offers hope to us. I don't know if you, they, they were going from Egypt when they'd been rescued from slavery. They were headed toward the promised land. And if you've ever been in that part of the world, that's not a fun place to wander around in. I often think when I'm there, this is okay for camels, but I'd hate to be wandering around here very long. And yet in the midst of all of that, when I'm sure sometimes they were so frustrated and they wondered, where is God? What on earth is he doing? Will this ever end? Is there any purpose in all of this? God told Moses set up a tent, a tabernacle, which will be a place that shows them that I am here. Even while they're in the wilderness, I still love them and I am among them and I am working out my plan. And if you read the story, you'll see that there was sometimes the cloud that would appear. Uh, they could not see God. He would veil himself in that cloud. But when they would see that cloud and that tent in the midst of everything they were facing and all of their misunderstanding and frustration, they knew that God was there and they were able to say, I will trust you. I will. Trust. They came to love that cloud. They called it the glory. They called it the glory, the Shekinah, because when they saw it, they knew that God wasn't out there. He was here and they could trust him again and wait to see what he would do. Do you see what John is saying? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He is God here with us. So that when you and I go through these tough times, which are a part of this fallen world, right? Tough, tough times where we don't know what God is doing. 
We can come into this place and cast our eyes upon him again and know that God is Emmanuel. God is with us. So there is purpose. And whatever we face will not last forever. Uh, brothers and sisters at the church, I was thinking about us. And so I, I jotted down a few things. Maybe this will be helpful to apply this. In the midst of this world, do you ever complain about the internal agony of living in this world? I'm thinking of things like loneliness, uh, depression. You cannot understand where God is and what he's doing. Do you see that what this Christmas season should say to us is God is one who has made flesh and agonizes with us and tells us that what we face will not last forever and that he still has a purpose even when we don't see it. Do you ever complain that we live in a, a suffering world? And here I'm talking about external pain where either we or the people that we love are going through the kinds of suffering that, that are almost unimaginable to us. And here the Bible is declaring, like God did back in the wilderness, you may not see what I am doing, but God became flesh and suffered with us and offers us hope even in the midst of pain that it will not last forever. Do you ever complain and think that we live in a tempted world? And you look at your own failure. Do you see this is God become flesh? And the writer of the book of Hebrews said, tempted in every way just like us, though without sin. But this is God made flesh, knowing what we're experiencing and then doing something. The cross to offer us forgiveness for those times that we failed. And telling us he gives himself his spirit to us so that tomorrow can be different from yesterday. This would be worthy of the hallelujah. It's, it's, it's gospel. This is just good news. Do you ever complain that we live in a dying world? Sometimes, my, my son is here. Sometimes he's heard me say, I, sometimes I just hate death. When, when people that I really care about or even people I haven't met that they do things that I love, they are gone. When I, when I came to realize that C.S. Lewis wasn't going to write any more fun stories, I said, I hate death. When I realized Jim Henson wasn't around anymore to make those great Muppets think, learning something about me here. I, I hate death. But God has said, if you hate death, here is God become flesh who has died for us and defeated death through his resurrection. So even its sting is taken away. And hope is offered to us. Emmanuel, God with us. The ultimate ministry of being here. And John, you can just feel him almost exploding there in verse 14. We have seen that glory. We have seen the glory of the one and only Son of God. Who is full of grace and full of truth. That is what happened. Into this sinful, dark, dying world. God has come to turn things around. And to offer us hope. Which brings me to the second fact. What people did, or what we do. Look at verse 11. So he came. He came. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It seems to me when I try to explain it the way I am, there's an irony in this, isn't it? The very one who came to offer hope to people who are looking for hope 
was held at arm's length. It really is a tragedy, isn't it? A tragedy. And yet a tragedy that has a great ending. For even though he was rejected, there was ultimately going to be victory and hope that was offered. Let me ask you the question. Why was he rejected? Well, there are many answers to this, mostly because we who like to live our own lives don't want to give our lives to anybody else, right? Many of us have simply come to love our sinfulness so much that we just don't want to give it up. But one of the things I thought about here was this. When Jesus came to this world, he was the blueprint of what we were supposed to be. Um, We were made in the image of God. And yet in Genesis chapter 3, all people started walking away from him. So this image is distorted. We're not, we're not quite what we should be. Any, well, I won't ask you to disagree. We, don't have, we have too many people here. None of us, according to the Bible, is quite what we should be. The image is distorted in us. Then comes the image. And we see ourselves in relation to what we should be. And we don't look all that good. As long as we sort of compare ourselves to others, to our spouse or to our neighbor, we say, well, I'm not so bad. But I'll tell you, when we when we read the story of Jesus and see how we should love people, how we should treat people, how we should live in this world, then we look at ourselves. I'll tell you, we know that the Bible is right. Each one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. So when Jesus came, people were uncomfortable. They didn't like it and put him to death. The best illustration of this that I could think about was years ago. My wife, Chris, and I, uh, back in the 70s, we went back to the, her uh, family's homeland, to, to the Netherlands, to Holland. We were staying in The Hague, Den Haag, and took a train to Delft. And, you know, that's where they make the Delft China. We went into the China factory, and in that China factory, they have the best pieces in the factory. So we looked at the firsts that were there, and they, they were nice. But they were also expensive. <laughs> and we, we thought, Chris is up in the choir, we thought, well, seconds wouldn't be all that bad. <laughs> so then we left, we left the factory store, went into some of those other places, and we went in where they had the seconds. But having seen what it's supposed to look like, the seconds were just distorted. They, they weren't right. We, could, we ended up buying nothing. We ended up buying nothing. In many ways, that's an illustration of what happened here. When we actually cast our eyes upon God, sometimes coming to church even should be a painful moment. When the light of God's word shines upon our lives and we know I've fallen short yet again. I've spoken words that shouldn't be spoken. I've thought thoughts that shouldn't be thought. And I've done things that I know are wrong. Then we come and see the way God is. And we wonder, is there any hope? That's what happened. And what happened was people rejected him. In fact, there was one time when all of the forces of evil gathered their forces and powers together to try to defeat him. Look again at verse 5. The way that John puts it is so powerful. He writes a lot about it at the end of his book. But here he just puts it this way. The light shines. It's shining in the darkness. Shining toward you right now. But the darkness has not, and my version says, understood it. But, But that word that John used in his language really meant has not overcome it. Has not overcome it. Could not defeat it. And on that good Friday, when Jesus was put on the cross, the forces of evil thought they'd overcome him, but they could not. For the maker of this universe defeated even death by his resurrection. So the first thing that we see is, he came. God himself, so that we could know him. Second, though he came, 
people wanted nothing to do with him. But third, what we should do. Yet. I wonder, do we have any English teachers here? I like grammar. Most people hate it. But I'll tell you, it's kind of a good thing right here. There's a strong adversative here. Most people rejected. Yet. I like it. Yet. To all who received him. Let me tell you what that means, John says. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of birth that you know about, this first physical birth, children born of natural descent, nor, nor of a human decision where a husband and wife says, what, you, you want to have a child? Nor, nor of a husband's will saying, well, even if you don't want a child, I want one. That's not what I'm talking about, he says. I'm talking about people born of God, people who come alive to God. And so when I read this, I say, there's hope. There's hope. Not all people reject him. The light shines out, and hopefully even this morning the message comes to us. And, and though many will hold it at arm's length and not want to hear it, some believe. Some believe. And, and when we believe, we begin to live. Forgiveness and freedom is offered. God gives himself to us, and we begin to have our lives become what God would have us to be. I think in, in this Advent season, I've mentioned it several times, but I love Jesus' own statement about this in John 10.10. 10. Thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. I know it. You have all these, these people out there just wanting you to, to give them money so that they can pretend they can give you something worth living for. But I didn't come for that. I didn't come for that. I have come that you may have life and have it and have it to the full. The old version, abundant now, I want you to put that third point up there again, what we should do. Verse 12 and 13. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become his children. So, to begin to live and to begin to know God, what does God ask of us? Does he ask us to be the world's greatest thinkers? Well, God does call great thinkers into his family. Praise the Lord. Um, but there's going to be nobody in the family that, that comes in and says, Boy, God is really happy that he got me because he couldn't quite figure it out. Now I can help him think through this thing. Do you, do you think God calls just the wealthiest people so that Jeff Jones doesn't have to get up and make offering announcements at our, at our church? Do you think God just is looking for the, the best known people? Media folks, athletes. Well, fortunately, he calls the wealthy and the poor. He calls the rich and those about whom nobody has ever heard. But what he's expecting of all of us is this. That we'll be believers. That we'll trust him. That we'll admit that our lives are not what they should be. And we'll entrust our sins to him. Here it is. And we'll entrust our lives to him and say, here I am. Will you take me? And he says, yes, and I will give myself to you. Those who receive him to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become God's children. Now, I'm just about at the end. In the very first Advent service I did, I, I said I filled these two burdens coming here to Southern California in 2007. The first is for those who don't go to church very often. And that is for, for those that I, I don't you believe that we become so confused about what Christmas is about 
As I've said, we don't know the difference sometimes between the Santa Claus story and what happened in the manger. And I think one of the most important things is if, if you come to a church like Lake Avenue, the real message of Christmas, of God coming into this world to offer hope, must be made as clear as possible. And so with the, the gifts God's given me, I, I've, I've wanted to do that. I've also felt that church folks, that some of us become confused too. When we go through these times when we celebrate all sorts of things, we should be feeling this peace and do I have it and did I get the right kind of presence when really what we need to do is simply turn our face to him again and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. That God so loved this world that at this season we remember he gave the greatest gift, his one and only son, so that whoever believes on him will not perish, hallelujah, but have life, everlasting Eternal life. So I've, I've been wanting to make that clear. And then a second prayer I've had is that anybody who comes to our church, you'll know where you stand before God. I, I think there's so much confusion about that. And so I'm going to end by trying to help us just nail that down as best we can. I put a very simple card, sort of cream-colored card in the worship folder. I ho- hope you can all get hold of one. If you didn't, maybe it can become a family thing. Do you see there's two ways of responding to this event in history? Some reject, some believe. Some reject, some believe. And and which one of those you you choose to be in is is an internal matter. And it, it determines your standing before God. And I thought perhaps this card might be helpful. Don't fill it out yet. It might be helpful to just nail down where you stand before God. I think that's important to today. It could be that you simply know that you have received Jesus, that you are a believer. We need to reaffirm that sometimes, don't we? We go through these wilderness periods where we have to have these conscious reaffirmations of our faith. I've been a Christian long enough to know it within myself that sometimes I need to come into this place where I've wondered, where is God and do I really belong to him? And I take this moment, and so many times it happens, to simply say, Lord, I am a believer. And I'm, I'm praying that that might happen today. But perhaps just as much honesty is needed. You need to be able to say, I have not received Jesus. I'm not really alive to him. I'm not a believer. He offers you hope. He wants you to believe in him. But it would be good to start by simply acknowledging where you are. And I hope you can pull out of the third category simply by looking at this. I'm unsure. But if you are unsure, mark that down and maybe we can be helpful to you. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to, to pass these in. And if you would want to put that you would want us to contact you, we will. If you don't want us to, we won't. And, and certainly we won't if you don't put your name there, right? <laughs> but we're asking you to trust us, and I hope we're trustworthy. Uh, if you check that you want us to contact you, we will. And talk with you and pray with you about any matter. With this card in front of you. Then let me ask you a few questions in the light of our Advent messages. God has made himself known through what he has made, John said. So on one side, some people look at this universe and what they see is nature. The people of faith look at this universe and what they see is creation. That we live in a world made by our Father. And it's all here for a purpose. When you look at this universe that you are in, what do you see? 
What do you see? The second Advent message that I brought told us that God sent people who spoke words to us to point us to him. And so many of those words are found in this book. So when this book is opened and you read it or I speak from it, what, what do you see? What do you hear? Some people see this book and only see a book written by people with some good advice, perhaps, but just a religious book like many others. But those people who are people of faith. Read this book or hear the words of this book and they hear and see the word of God. Does your heart ever come alive as this word is read and proclaimed to you? If so, that comes by faith. Or today I talked about Jesus coming, God with us. So look at that baby in a manger. And what do you see? Do you simply see another man born into this world? who became a prophet, a great prophet, a major leader, but simply a man. Or, as you come into this place and you hear about Jesus, do you see the Son of God, the Savior of your soul, and the Lord of your life? Look at that manger. What do you see? Do you see a child born for you? Go through his life. Look at that cross. On that cross, that same Jesus went, do you see one dying for your sins and offering hope in his name? If you see the latter, you see it by faith. And today is a day to reaffirm, Lord, though I don't understand everything, I am a believer. See, I just joined my voice with John after all of this. And urge all of us here, receive him. (laughs) Receive him. Don't reject him. Uh, Believe in his name. Believe in his name. He became flesh for you and for me. And when you believe in him, you begin to know God. And you begin to live life, life eternal, life abundant. If you will receive him, you will find the uh, words of that great Christmas carol. Maybe you've never noticed that when you hear it in, um, in the malls, maybe you'll listen for this line. Written by Pastor Phillips Brooks, a little town of Bethlehem, in this line. Where meek souls will receive him, still, still the dear Christ enters in. This is the ultimate ministry of being there. To his glory. Amen. We'll be getting ready to sing that song and let's bow for prayer as we prepare our hearts for our response to the things of God. Our Father, we have gathered here to hear your word in the midst of a world where there's so much confusion about Christmas. We have come to see that your word talks about you coming and invading time and space in the person of the Lord Jesus to offer us life and hope. Father, for many of us, may this be a day that we simply reaffirm, Father, we are believers and are reminded that we have become children, your children. And for others, Father, may this be perhaps their first day of faith. Do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.